Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs about clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. We're continuing our conversation with Anne Edie. Many of you will know Anne already. She's Panda's person. Panda is the mini I trained to be a guide for Anne. In this episode, we talk about Anne's full-size horses. We meet Anne's Arabian Magnet and her Icelandics. I always referred to Magnet as a one in 10 million horse. In part one, Anne described what it was like to ride him and the training that created these magic carpet rides. The link between groundwork and riding is very much highlighted. Positive reinforcement isn't just a description of processes. The process you choose to teach a particular lesson sits on the surface of your training. What underlies those choices is the mindset, your core ethics, your long-standing habits of thought. For most of us, riding is where we have received the most instruction. It's where the influences from others run the deepest. So jumping straight into riding with the clicker may mean that you run headfirst into those old habit patterns of thought. And that's one reason why some people may struggle to use clicker training when they ride. They're running into old habit patterns and old ways of doing things. So one of the reasons for starting with groundwork is it helps to shift those old habits to new ways of thinking about our training. We ended part one with a story from a clinic that I gave out West many years ago that illustrates this concept beautifully. It confirmed for me the importance of beginning on the ground and then transferring your training to riding. In part two of this conversation with Anne, we continue to weave together the groundwork lessons and riding with the clicker. One of the most amazing rides that I ever had was after we did a lot of the single rein riding on the uh, triangle uh, riding practice. I don't remember why or whether it was just a whim, but we decided to ride in just a halter and lead rope. Maybe, I can't remember now, but maybe we had come out and were doing uh, groundwork in in halter and then decided to uh, get on and see what the results were. We did, you know, I did a lot of uh, walking around. I think we I did some turns and some of the hip shoulder shoulder and uh, other uh, exercises and then just started riding around with the the lead rope and uh, decided to to try going into a canter and it was the most beautiful wonderful feeling canter so balanced you know I only had one connection to the to the halter with the lead rope but my outside hand was in the position that it would have been if I were using 
reins and a bridle, and it truly felt the connection was there even though the physical rein was not there. And the mm-hmm. balance, the balance was there. It, my hand was where it would be if I were riding with the with the single rein concept. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. wonderful, just beautiful, and such a feeling of connection with the the hindquarters and connection with the mouth of the horse. Everything, you know, with my seat, my legs connected to his legs, everything was there. That was just uh, very memorable. And it also connected with, now to connect us to uh, riding the Icelandics, it was the same sort of feeling that I would get when Alex and I were riding the Icelandics uh, side by side. We would be in a good brisk bolt and going into the the corner uh, at the end of the arena, going around those turns when I had the the balance correct and just just make you smile and make you laugh kind of uh, feeling. And did you ever go on trail riding, just the two of you, Magnet and you? No, I would take Magnet for walk out in the neighborhood when we lived at the... Uh, the boarding barn, there really weren't any trail rides to go on. We would just go for walks in the neighborhood. It was, it was, uh, it was you know, suburban streets. We'd go around the block to practice our uh, lead rope connections. But I didn't ride him out on trails. But Alex and I used to go for rides out in the fields on the Icelandics. Mm-hmm. That was yeah, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. But Magnet, we always, you know, because they, because... In the background, sitting in the background was a heart condition. We kept him mm. in the arena. And it was interesting that over time, that, that heart condition just, it was never an issue, which, which was really mm. interesting. It was never an issue. But it seems to me you had that kind of two-way communication with him. You, you listened to him more than most people would listen and trust their horse, I think. Am I wrong? Definitely. And he knew, he knew that. He knew that, that you would listen to him. Yeah. And so he talked, he talked Definitely. to you. And I, uh, you know, when we were riding in the arena, sometimes I would ride when the kids were still riding. They were, mm. you know, have riding on their free times or a lot of the kids uh, lease horses so they could go and ride uh, outside of their list. And, you know, I could ride in an arena with several other uh, horses, several other people riding, not always the most uh, reliable situation. <laughs> <laughs> and Magnet would always take care of me, and I always deferred to his judgment. Sometimes mm-hmm. there were jumps in the arena, and you know, he would understand that I, you know, even if I sort of aimed him in that direction, I really didn't want him to go over the jumps. I you know, it was perfectly all right to uh, go around the jump. He would make sure he left the proper distance between himself and other horses. Um, you know, he was very good at okay. uh, working in traffic. So I never had to worry about getting, you know, we were going to get too close to that horse and get kicked. That 
brings up another really interesting one because I, I asked you at one point, what would you like to do with Magnet? And you said, well, I'd like to ride in a pair. Mm. And I took a deep breath and thought, okay, because the only horse that we could pair up with was my beloved Peregrine. But Peregrine was very afraid of other horses. He had been attacked as a young horse and run through a fence. He had at one of the places where we boarded, his stall was next to another horse who had killed another horse. And so he had legitimate reasons for being afraid of other horses. And he had the stifle issues. So there were problems in terms of his comfort level with other horses. And I was aware of this and I was very careful with him in terms of the situations that I put him into. But you wanted to ride as a team, as a pair. You wanted to ride drill team. It's like, okay, so we need to figure this out. And so we started by riding a big circle where the horses were on opposite sides of the circle. So you were at six o'clock, I was at 12 o'clock. And when the horses were directly opposite one another, we would click and treat. And both horses would stop, they'd both get a goodie. And when they were good at staying opposite one another, then we would let them go several more steps before we would click and treat. And this was really important because you were riding a 14-3 Arabian, and I was riding a 15-3 Thoroughbred, and their strides were not the same. You know, different size horses, different breeds, their, their strides did not automatically match up. But horses are herd animals, and they're very good at matching other horses. I mean, they have to be to stay in a herd. And once the horses, once the two of them figured out that the game was match strides, they got really good at it. And so then we could ride a full circle and they would stay opposite one another matching strides. And then we, I, I started to circle Peregrine so that as you were riding around the circle, I would do a, a circle off of the main circle and come back so that as you came around, we would be shoulder to shoulder, but not close. And so I had to judge how far apart or close together could I bring Peregrine to Magnet and still have things remain safe because everything was up to me. Because you couldn't see where a Peregrine was to be able to say, well, Magnet, let's get away from here. And I was on the horse who was the, going to be pro, the, the problem horse in terms of maybe swinging around and kicking out at Magnet because he was afraid. And so it was really up to me to keep things safe. And so as, as we circled around and the horses came shoulder to shoulder, we would click, both horses would stop, they'd get a treat. And over time, we could bring them shoulder to shoulder so that they were closer together, then closer together until they were literally side by side, and then could continue on around the circuit. And it was a really important, it was a really important 
exercise to do with both horses because Peregrine was just was still in the recovery phase from the Potomac horse fever, and he was still somewhat reluctant to move forward. And so working with Magnet helped him to move uh, on and to move forward with more confidence because Magnet was a, a, a foot-moving, let's-go-somewhere horse. But Peregrine knew more about collection. And so each horse gave the best of what they had to the other horse. So I think it was really by pairing Magnet up with Peregrine that Magnet really learned about collection by mirroring and matching what Peregrine was doing. Yeah. And they were they were a beautiful team together, really beautiful team. And it all helped with uh, each of them had complementary, easier sides and more difficult sides to balance on. So yes, you know, by going in both uh, directions, they each helped the other one balance on the weaker side. Yes. And we were definitely using the lateral work, the lateral flexions, to help the horses to be more comfortable being close to one another. So as, as we brought them in closer and closer, you could use the flexion to actually give them that feeling of they had more space. So it was really uh, the gymnastic work. It was really critical to building their confidence of being uh, a riding pair. Do you remember why you, you wanted to ride in a team in the first place? Um, do you remember what motivated you before you started? Well, I remember from my childhood when I started riding and they, when they would have shows, one of the classes in, in all of their schooling shows was uh, riding in pairs and they would also do trios. So, and I always... I just love that, it, the, the, the dance aspect of it. Yeah, we would call that a pas yeah. de deux in ballet and in writing. Yes. You call it a pas de deux. Yeah. It's a, it's a term that comes from the dance vocabulary. That all appealed to me. So I think that's where it originally came from. And just, you know, getting that feeling of being able to do something together with another pair, you know, another horse mm -hmm. and rider. And then when uh, we had the Icelandics, that was the ultimate. It, <laughs> that was fun. Um, yeah, because here you have the same size, same breed. And Icelandics are just so good at, and uh, it's part of their culture that you can ride them really close together. <laughs> and they were together in the paddocks. No, they knew oh. each other, right? They were all, they, yeah, they were always together. Weren't they? They had yeah. separate stalls, but, mm. but yeah, they were together. When they had stalls, they had separate stalls. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were packed. To ride Icelandics, it's literally, will you get your foot out of my stirrup? You know, you are really next to the other horse, and it's so much fun. And you're moving at speed. So, we, you know, we, we weren't just demurely in this nice little, little old lady tolt or something. We were, we were zooming. When we rode the the ICs as a pair, that was fun. That was that was a lot of fun. Reach over and adjust my position of my outside hand. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Magnet was was never trained as a guide horse, but when you looked at him, Alex, could you see what he had learned? Even because you never, neither you nor Anne 
officially taught him to be like Panda. I taught him some things. For example, I, I taught him when I was leading him in and out of the paddock to the barn, okay. I taught him to stop at doorways and step, you know, if there was a difference in the height, you know, from going from the dirt driveway into the barn or from the barn out into the arena to stop at doorways, to stop at, you know, to take me to the gate of the, the paddock, those kinds of things. And, you know, to avoid obstacles, to go around stuff. And in the arena, you know, I would aim him in a general direction, but I would depend on him to, you know, make the, the smaller adjustments. So, yeah, he, he, most of it he learned just by getting used to me and what I was expecting of him. I think the scariest thing I ever heard someone say who was a, you know, a very experienced horse person was, and I, I don't know, they were talking about stunt riding and circuses and things like that. You know, if I ride, and he, he, he said, uh, happened to be a male person, mm. if I ride my horse straight at a cliff and tell him to keep going, mm. I expect him to go over that cliff. <laughs> I thought that is the scariest thing I've ever you know, heard because the last thing I want my horse to do is do whatever I tell him. Yeah, you you hear that too. I've heard that from someone who used to have a stunt. They would have their horse go through like a big round of fire. You've you've seen this, right? Yeah. Uh, well, you in well, I've seen this in Europe. So the horse goes. I mean, or they ha they have to go through fire, mm -hmm. and they do. They go through fire. But I agree with you. If I had my horse, I would rather he stop and say, "We're not going through the fire." And of course, what what horses experience in the the, the normal world, uh, you to borrow the Harry Potter phrase of the Muggle world, or however you want to think of it, you know, if if you point a horse at a fence, he's to jump it, and if he refuses to jump it, he gets punished, and often severely punished, and so the horse's ability to say, you know, I know the ground is slippery, and we shouldn't go over that fence. I know that uh, you're not balanced and we shouldn't go over that fence. I know you're asking me to jump over a, a hedge into a roadway on the other, that's on the other side of the hedge and I can hear a car coming. We shouldn't jump that hedge. All of those things where we should be partnering with our horses gets punished out of them. Um, mm -hmm. What the you know magnet teaches, what panda teaches, <clears throat> what all of our beautiful clicker trained horses are teaching us is that we learn so much, we benefit so much from listening to our mm -hmm. horses, giving them a voice, being moved by them, rather than always insisting that we know better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in, in a way, in your case, and you, you went even one step further, because he had to trust him. And, you know, I've heard you say that too, Alex, you know, trust that trust that you can try, you, you say it yeah. about the process, but to trust the horse. In order to really let go, relax, mm. uh, have fun, enjoy riding, mm. there is either your life experience has been such that you got on the right horses 
who were not scary, who didn't try to buck you off or knock you off under tree branches or, you know, any of the other things that horses do with riders. And you, what you have learned is that you can ride horses, you can sit on horses, you can be safe on horses, you can get them to go forward when you need them to go forward, et cetera, et cetera. And so you feel very bold and confident on the horse. But for a lot of people, if they've had the experience of... Mm. They you know, started like that. They, they, they started like that. Trusting or, and innocent. Yeah, yes, yes. And then they, they had then, a ride like Aunt, the one Anne described mm-hmm. where they thought, oh, let's take everybody and go <laughs> jump the jumps, whether they're, they should be jumping or not, and, and have the riders fall off kind of thing. And when you're riding in an arena and you have to you trust that when the horse gets to the far end of the arena that he's not suddenly going to lose his confidence and go bucking and spooking back to the other end. You know, there's a a level of trust that evolves over time between the horse and the rider, where you both have confidence in each other. You have each other's back, as it were. You know, I remember you during clinics that you gave at the farm saying how difficult it seemed for people on the ground just to let go. I think we were doing, going around, maybe we were doing three flip, flip three, I don't remember, but people couldn't let go yeah. of the reins, yeah. or of, the, of the lead. They couldn't let go. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's so easy to fall into the contact trap where you, you take a hold. I mean, we're mm. primates, we're good at taking a hold, but we're not good at letting go. And that's part of the function of the single rein riding and the groundwork is to learn to let go. And that the lead is a starter button cue. You know, it, it initiates the movement. You turn the key in the ignition and your car starts. You activate the rein, the horse responds and you let go. You don't stay on the rein. You don't stay on the lead until the, the movement is complete. But so much of our experience has been, if I let go, everything's going to fall apart. So I better hold on. And so it's quite a learning process. You know, and that, that brings us to another point that I want to make about riding. I had somebody else who was asking me, can I ride? When can I ride? Mm. And, and I, my, my answer was, you know, if you feel safe, getting on your horse, by all means, ride. You know, that the the groundwork doesn't have to be perfected mm. before you ride. It's not, okay, I'm going to spend the next five years working on perfecting my lateral flexions on the ground before I can even consider getting on my horse. It's like, no, no, no. If you have a horse who is safe to ride, then absolutely by all means, introduce your horse to the clicker on the ground, teach them those, the beginnings of those six foundation lessons, you know, use it to teach the universals of grooming and saddling and bridling and basic husbandry and foot care and medical care, but you don't have to perfect all of those things. While you're doing all of that, if your horse is safe, by all means, get on and ride and enjoy and look for opportunities to incorporate the yes of the clicker training into your ride. If you don't feel safe getting on your horse, if the thought of riding makes you 
you know, shaking your boots, as it were. And when you get off, you're thinking, survive that. You know, I don't have to think about riding for another 24 hours. Oh, thank goodness. Then, then it's absolutely okay. It's more than okay. It's what you should be doing is to stay on the ground and fill in the training holes until you just feel your horse inviting you to get on and ride. And you'll know when it's time. So there's no, there's no pressure to ride. And there's also no saying, well, you can't ride yet because you haven't perfected, you know, the first, the first nine chapters of the book, you haven't perfected it. So you can't ride yet. I love that, Alex. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's important because I think sometimes people feel, you know, when they look at the materials that I've produced and there's, you know, there's all of these DVD lessons before I get to the riding part. And they think, oh, it's going to take me forever before I can ride. It's like, no, if, if, if you've been riding, continue to ride. When I started exploring clicker training, when I first went out to the barn with my pockets filled with treats, Peregrine was, was laid up with foot abscesses. So he had abscesses in both front feet and he could not walk, but he could orient to a target. And it's you know, brand new to all of this way of thinking. So I you know, looked around for something that would work as a target and there was an old dressage whip in the corner of the barn and I used the, the handle of that and he could orient to that click and treat, and then he could turn his head from side to side, click and treat. And as, as the abscesses began to heal, I could ask for more of the groundwork. And I took all the things that he had learned and began to reteach it with the clicker so that when he was well enough to go back into full training, and it was about seven weeks that he was laid up, he was actually further along in his training than he had been before he was laid up. And it's like, well, that's not how it normally works, <laughs> uh, especially not with young thoroughbreds. Normally, when you have a horse who's laid up for any period of time, the concern is, how do I keep this horse from leaping about on the end of a lead rope as he's coming back into his recovery? It's not, oh, well, that's interesting. He's, it's, he's so much further in his training than he was seven weeks ago. And he's been laid up. And, and then I started under saddle. And in, in many respects, I was the perfect person for clicker training to have found, you know, which is sort of how I think about it, you know, because clicker training was out there. It just wasn't in the horse world. But I think part of the reason that it really became so well seated in me is because I had a broad and very deep understanding of groundwork. So groundwork was not just lunging. And, mm. and I also had this understanding of the single rein riding, which was very chunked down. It's a way of taking the classical dressage and splitting it and splitting it and splitting it into really small weight shifts so that it became much more accessible. And so when I started under saddle, I remember so clearly getting on Peregrine and picking up the rein and asking him for a simple turn. And because he hadn't been in work, I wasn't going to ask for very much. I was just going to ask for a couple of steps or you know, a few turns. I wasn't going to ride very long, very, wasn't going to do anything very fancy. So I got on at the mounting block and I asked him to turn. 
And as he responded to my request, I clicked and I gave him a treat. And then I picked up the rain again and returned and I clicked and I gave him a treat. And I could almost feel him saying, oh, that's what you meant. Why didn't you say so before? You know, the clarity that it gave us. And what I experienced on him was what I experienced with all of my clients' horses, that we'd been going along, going along nicely, going along nicely, and we introduced the clicker training, and it's like we just shot up to a completely different level of riding. It was really fun. And so initially, when you start riding, you can just look for, look for clickable moments. Look for things, you know, you get on at the mounting block and your horse stands still, click and treat. That's a lovely thing to reinforce. And begin with a review of simple things, of basics, just to make sure that there are no holes. That when your horse was presumably learning the, this particular lesson, that he wasn't distracted by, you know, the things that young horses are distracted by, or whatever it is. And then as the work gets more complex, your horse knows how to use the information that the click provides. So you know, and things can get very complex. So one of the things that Anne that we taught Magnet was Piaf. And I, I don't think we can end a, a conversation about Magnet without talking about the Piaf and his glorious passage. So what was that like to ride? Mm-hmm. Um, that was amazing to ride. <laughs> uh, and as he learned the Piaf, and once again, we did that in hand and on the ground before we ever did it under saddle, but it was just amazing. <laughs> it was just amazing. Yes, undescribable. I don't know how. I don't know how to describe it. But the the most wonderful part of it was that he loved it, and even you know as he got older, when he was above thirty, and I would take him out into the arena, and you know he would go over to the the mounting block, and I would get on him and before he would go five steps he was giving me piaf mm. it was like you know hurry up get on i want to sh- <laughs> i want to go piaf <laughs> this is what i want to do yeah, this is what i want to do i want to show you how i can do this first and then we can do anything else you want but let's do this so and and, and that was amazing for me because the more it was on his mind, of course, the easier it was for me to figure out how to ask him because he he already knew what I probably wanted him to do. So he would give me the benefit of the doubt. Oh, okay, let's do that. You know? <laughs> so even if I didn't have myself yeah. balanced correctly for that, he would balance me. So he was doing it half the setup. I wasn't having to do all of my part. And then, you know, gradually we we kind of came into sync so that I could cue him or you know, he could cue me. I would feel him getting ready to do that. Yeah. And he he learned the Piaf out of the uh, three training turns. So the, again, that's from the single rein riding and the, the use of lateral flexions that sets them up and he just mobilized yeah. beautifully out of that. You, you know, I remember... The, just this absolute glean when I first saw him beginning to mobilize. I was like, yes. And of course, it's click and treat, and uh, you just keep building it. And he loved to piaf. Yeah. I think it also 
came out of the uh, changes from uh, haunches in to uh, to shoulder in to haunches in, and he loved that too. I was thinking about the synergy between the you know the clicker training, the single rein riding exercises, and the riding at, per se. You know the groundwork and the riding. Magnet being an Arabian, you know, had his moments when he was a little worried about what was going on at, uh, outside the arena at the far end. Uh, he had a little bit of far end itis, you know, more when I first started riding him than uh, later. But there were times when he would uh, spook at something at the far end. But because we had done so much of the head down exercises, one step of a little bit of a jump, and I would pick up the rein, and his head would go down. He would stop. I would click and treat, and it was over. So I, you know, we were talking about trust, and we were talking about feeling comfortable riding. Once we had that pattern down, I didn't worry about, you know, riding him in the arena. Mm. You know, as long as I felt generally, you know, if the snow wasn't coming off the roof or we weren't in the middle of a thunderstorm and I felt that I was ready to mm. ride, that I had strategies, I had tools that I could use you know, if something did happen suddenly that he wasn't going to, uh, you know, run away with me or I wasn't going to fall. It wasn't, go it wasn't going to escalate. He wasn't going to spook and then go into a rolling box that sends you flying. He had a safe exit ramp. You know, I'm startled and here's my exit ramp out of the startle that brings me back to calm, safe, connected, right. all is well. Yeah, if, if it was a... A windy day and the roof was... Yeah, the roof would just rattle. When the when the wind blew through that arena, you would think that the, the roof was just going to be blown away. It had quite a rattle to it. Exercises that we could use, like the, the figure eight exercise was one yeah. that I always liked because it's simple. You know, if I felt that we could do it under saddle, we would do it under saddle. If I felt that I wasn't ready for that, uh, I would do it on the ground. You know, I would walk him in the figure eights and click and treat when we were uh, walking towards the far end of the arena. And then we would go around again and gradually work our way down the arena. And uh, the other thing, I'd click and treat for him touching the gate across the back door of the arena. But going to the far end became a... Uh, a hot game? Yeah, became a became a pleasurable uh, goal in itself rather than always a scary one. And eventually, you know, he would go down and rattle the gate and make noises and I bang on the gate and things like that so that the whole far end thing became much more of a pleasant association. And that, that phrase of that I taught him, that's a really important phrase that is part of clicker training. It is mm -hmm. um, it's one of the things that I think is really important and one of the great gifts of clicker training is that it empowers riders. So, so much of what we learn in the horse world is I'm the rider and I have a trainer who trains my horse and I'm dependent on that trainer for keeping my horse going safely. That often as riders, we don't think of ourselves as teachers, as trainers. We don't think that, yes, I can teach my horse new things. And what clicker training does is it really opens that box wide open that you are a teacher, a trainer, you can add 
to Magnet's repertoire. You are, you're not stuck with, well, this is what he came with, and this is all I'm going to have. And it's, yes, you know, we we definitely, we worked together. You were, our horses were in the same barn. That was a really wonderful connection, but you taught Magnet. It wasn't, I taught Magnet, and then you got to benefit from that. So you taught Magnet. So you taught things like the go down to the far end of the arena game, which he was really good at. That was a great piece. So I don't think we can end this conversation without asking you, since you rode before, and you rode in what is a fairly typical riding experience for many people, starting in a lesson, in that kind of group lesson. It's a, it's a way that many people access horses for the first time. And, you know, if you don't grow up in a family that has horses, that's how you access horses. So thinking back to the horses that you knew then, and then thinking about the clicker-trained horses that are your equine family, how would you describe the difference? You've got example, non-example. What would you say about that? Well, I'd say for one thing, I think the clicker-trained horses are much happier, and I think they are much more communicative. And, you know, of course, of what we do with the clicker, uh, they're much softer, more responsive. But, you know, I don't, that's not necessarily because of using the clicker. I think that's because of what we do with it. But as far as the difference between clicker and non-clicker, they're smarter. (laughs) They're easier to work with. If you decide you want them to do something new, you have a way of getting there without scaring them into it, forcing them into it, hiring them into it, you know, exhausting them into doing what you want. Yes. And it, it's not a struggle. You, you take, you change the relationship between uh, yourself and the horse from one of force and dominance to one of let me show you yes. what uh, we can do together. You know, and when you said that the horses were softer, it's not because they're clicker trained, but it's because of what we teach using the communication system of the clicker training. And I think that's a really important statement. So, you know, this this podcast is not about, let me teach you all how to ride with the clicker training. But I think it is worth taking a few minutes at the end of this conversation to talk about the the connecting the thread. So in, in September, we had dressage camp and we were able to follow that thread from the foundation lessons through the groundwork and with uh, Michaela Hempen's work with Blondie, where she's starting with a crossover horse who had some some issues in terms of being handled safely. Uh, when Michaela started to lead her, and if, if Blondie felt any pressure on the lead, she would react by rearing or kicking out. It's like, oh, I think there are a few holes in this horse's training that, that need some, some work. And many of us have start out with horses like that. Or you have, you, know, you you just have a pleasant horse, but he's heavy. He's on the forehand. He's uh, he's not a joy to ride. He he doesn't make you feel as though uh, you're up in the stratosphere riding. And yeah, he's a perfectly safe horse, but it's not a pleasure. 
And you know that physically he's not carrying himself as well as he could uh, in terms of staying sound. You know, all of these things come into play. And so with, with the horses, I, you know, I use those six foundation lessons to introduce the horse to clicker training, to teach the horse how to use the information that that yes answer signal gives them. And that we use the foundation lessons to build first and foremost polite, safe manners. We, we don't have to be afraid of the horse, that the horses are learning how to dance with us, how to back up and move their bodies over and so that they uh, we don't we don't feel crowded by them. They're not we're not looking out for our toes. And we can then use the clicker training to introduce the uh, basic husbandry, to teach the universals, to go from, yes, I can get you to, I can pull your feet up to clean them every day, but it's a chore, to I point my, my finger at you, your leg and you pick up your foot for, for me and you hold your leg up so that it's not a chore to clean your foot out. All of those things. And then we move into the, the working hand that really helps horses to learn about their own balance. And as they become better balanced, they become so soft and so light. And you slide down the lead and they're just light as air, softly responding to you, dancing with you in this beautiful balance. And then from there you get on and through the single rein riding, you teach the work that you've introduced on the ground and then gradually move into riding for performance. And so there is a system to this training. And you can absolutely get on and ride the way you've always ridden. So there's nothing that says you can't have a horse who's safe to ride and without going through all of these steps that I've just described, that you get on and you look for opportunities to click and treat, but there isn't really a systematic process to it, and, but you, it's effective. And, and you find that you know, if your horse is, say, you're, you're riding a trail horse and you come to a place where there's something odd out on the trail and you bring out the touch the goblin game and, and your horse recognizes that and you click and treat as he orients to this thing that he's a little worried about. And the next thing you know, he's walking past it calmly and you go, wow, Clicker training is really neat. You can certainly use clicker training like that, or you can work very systematically, as we do with our horses, melding the groundwork with the riding and work systematically through the layers. And when you do, you get to horses like Magnet, who was a one in 10 million horse. So before we end for the, the day, because we've, we've had you now for quite a while, and anything else that you would like to say about getting on and riding and riding magnet, riding the the ICs? What what would what would you like to um, share with people? Well, a couple more ways that we use the clicker in riding, or that people sometimes have questions about how we use the clicker in riding. Uh, one of the ways was early on when I was learning new things, we click, either I would click or you would click as the instructor watching when we just started to do 
no. what we were trying to do, what the goal was. And we could click just the beginning of that and then gradually grow it into the fuller expression, which was very comforting to me as a, as a beginner yes. because things didn't gain momentum, didn't go too fast uh, or get away from me. We could yes. capture the moment both for the horse and for the rider. And that is a really useful tool. And the fact that the horse understood the yes. click to mean stop and get your treat so that at any time, you know, the rider needs to stop. Yeah, that can be very uh, useful. <laughs> you know for sure how to stop your horse. We can use the click as a Yes. As a stop, as well as, as a yes, that was what I wanted. Very useful. And as I said, uh, along with the, uh, the head exercise, that was always a, uh, a very useful thing to have. For example, if I was riding in the arena with a lot of other riders and somebody's horse spooked and started a, uh, a ricochet, yeah, you get a popcorn effect. You know, one horse spooks and then suddenly five or six more. It's like kernels of popcorn. They're all bouncing. I knew that all I had to do was lift the rein and Magnus' head would go down and you know, he was going to stand still and uh, I wouldn't yes. have to worry about uh, where I was going and where everybody else was going. And that idea of when you're building your seat, when you're developing your seat. So, for example, you're developing the, the trot or the canter, it doesn't really matter. And you set the horse up and he gives you a trot and you go two or three strides. And, and because, because he's really beautifully balanced, it's a big trot and it has a lot of energy to it. And your seat stays connected to that trot. Mm. But you know that if, if the horse were to keep going, you're not sure that you have the the balance, the abdominal muscles, you know, whatever, to stay with that trot if it kept going and going. And so before the horse falls apart, before your seat disconnects, you click and give the horse and the horse stops and you give him a treat. And what you have just experienced are two or three perfect strides. Your seat was connected to the horse. The horse was in beautiful balance. And then it was over. It's like, wow, I rode that. That's very cool. So then you set the horse up again and you ask for the trot. And the horse picks up this big, beautiful, bold, beautifully balanced trot that's full of energy. And you ride the two or three or four strides that you feel confident riding. And before all of that beautiful uplift through the horse's back would propel you out of the saddle and disconnect you from him, you have clicked. And again, everything that you rode was perfect. And, every, and his balance was perfect. And you can say, I rode that. And as you build that, you develop the core muscles, you develop the balance, you develop the duration to be able to stay with that beautiful trot longer and longer and longer. And 
the horse is not practicing being out of balance. You're not practicing bouncing on his back. It's all good. And that's one of the great strengths of clicker training, especially if you are a rider who is really just beginning to develop your seat. It's a great way to develop your seat. And then you can allow the horse to really express fully the, his beautiful gait. You're not having to shut them down because you can't ride them. And just one more connection that I come back to again and again in my memory and my imagery is I have an image in my mind of myself riding Magnet and alongside of Magnet, there's an image of myself walking with Panda in harness. Yes. And the feeling, the connection is the same. Yes. It feels the same, the same bend, the same contact, yes. and the same lift in both the riding and the walking al along in harness. You know, and that's something that we haven't talked about, which is pull. Your first guide was a lovely and wonderful dog, was taught to put an active pull on the harness. He was to pull you along. When you started riding, that was a problem because holding the handle of the, the guide harness with your left hand, there was a lot of tension in your left side that was not useful for the riding. And Panda was taught lateral flexions. Mm -hmm. So she was taught to balance and to be light in the harness and still guide. She can give you information without dragging you forward. And it's a completely different experience. I can see it. I can see the difference in your body when you are working with Panda. And I, one, one of my favorite pictures of you and Panda you are beautifully balanced, and she is beautifully balanced, and there's no sense of strain between the two of you. Mm -hmm. And that's what it should be like, whether you're on the ground or you're under saddle. We can have it all. Yes. And the idea that we have to have that pull, you know, that feeling of, of the horse, the weight of the horse in our hands is like, no, that's not how it should be. And what this riding does, what this way of working horses does, is it really does help horses to remain sound in their bodies over a long period of time. And we can say that with confidence because that's what our horses showed us. You know, Magnet was 33 and he was sound. It was not a soundness issue. That, that's not why we lost him. But he was 33, and he was sound in his body. He had no arthritis, which is, I think, a, a really impressive statement. So, Dominique, you're a non-rider. That what you've seen in the riding world didn't draw you in. It didn't, it didn't get you itching to say, I have to get on a horse. So you've built your relationships on the ground, and you've built very rich relationships on the ground. So is, is there anything that you want to ask of Anne from that perspective of someone who has not built that riding relationship? You've built fabulous relationships on the ground, but it has not 
included the writing. Not yet. Not yet. That's right. Not yet, because, you know, I wrote in the very beginning, just traditional way, and I didn't like that. Yeah. I didn't like it because I felt my horse was not liking it. Right. And then I did write a little bit using the clicker training. Remember I rode Racial and a couple of other horses, yeah. and that was much more pleasant for me than the original writing, which I did not enjoy at all. But what happened was that I realized I needed to learn a lot of stuff on the ground first. And that exploration is so vast. Yes. And so rich that I'm, I'm not missing writing and I feel like there's so much I have to learn still. And in a way, you know, before when you were saying you don't have to perfect that part before you go back on, that resonates with me. Although I'm not really missing it right now. Mm. You know, I I just, I'm, there's so much to learn on the ground and to understand how the horses learn. Yes. And we keep learning new things, you know, when every time we have Jesus around or Susan Friedman around, we keep learning new things. So I haven't really missed it. But I'm not saying that I'm not going back on a horse ever. I'm not saying that, you know, it could happen. Um, You know, I loved it before too, when you said, you know, just get on your horse and find clickable moments. Yes. Just the same way that Sometimes we decide we're going to do a training session and that's not what we do because for many reasons, it could be because we just found a new hole that we need or something we need to train before. But I could see myself just, you know, going, sitting on my horse and just looking for clickable moments as something that I could enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So a question to ask Anne, were there any moments where... You did not want to ride? Oh, yeah. Many. Oh, yeah? Like what? Well, let me see. When the snow's coming off the roof? Snow's coming off the roof. Um, thunderstorms, definitely. That was my issue, not usually the horses. Um, mm-hmm. For me, when, for example, they were mowing the lawn or especially when they're weed whacking, somebody's weed whacking around the barn, for a couple of reasons. One is that sometimes it's not just a uh, constant drone. There are, you know, they hit a stone or they Mm. uh, hit something and it ricochets up and, you know, hits the the outside of the uh, arena or something like that. That would make me nervous and make me feel like it was going to make the horse nervous. But also... Any kind of uh, noise like that makes it very hard for me to hear the audible signals that I use to keep my orientation in the space that I'm riding in. So, yeah, there were lots of reasons why on a particular day I wouldn't, uh, you know, I'd rather keep my feet on the ground. And, then, you know, also it would depend on what was going on in the arena if there were too many other horses or if somebody was going to set up a jump and, you know, I felt like it was just too, too many distractions, too much that I had to keep track of audibly, I would feel safer, you know, taking a little corner of the arena and doing, doing some groundwork there rather than 
trying to uh, negotiate the bigger space with the more complicated uh, traffic. And there was a time, for no particular reason, when I got very um, nervous about the mounting process, mounting blocks, you know, my head, his head, my body, his body. We had to all get on the same path. But I, I, at least for me, I don't know if this happens to everybody, but for some reason, occasionally things would just get off kilter and it would take going back and saying, okay, why, you know, exactly what detail is it about this process that needs adjusting so that we can both feel comfortable doing this. Mm. Just like the, the trot, you know, that's like my frustration with, I've always been able to ride a trot. Why is this horse different? Why can't I ride his trot? So, you know, it's a matter of going back and building the the steps. And yes, it's a different horse. It's a different system, different expectations. And, you know, I'm different. It's, you know, big difference between my body at 10 years old and my body at 40 years old. Mm-hmm. So those are, you know, yeah, there were lots of reasons why I, on a particular day or a particular time that riding either was or was not something I wanted to do that day. There were a lot of stretches, especially with Magnet and with Fengur also, that most fun in the world was riding and I wanted to do it every day. And then there were other times when I wanted to do some other things that that felt good and that felt good for both of us. And that, of course, is one of the, I think, again, something that needs to be highlighted is to have horses with a large and full repertoire gives you alternatives. So on the days where you're just really tired because work is hard, you know, work is exhausting, you're, you're working long hours. Or something in the environment makes it less safe. Or something mm-hmm. in the environment, right. Whatever the reason is that this is just not one of those days where you feel up to riding. There are so many other things that you can do. And I think that's one of the strengths of the clicker training, because if really all you know is grooming, maybe a little bit of lunging and riding, and it's not a good riding day, you're out of luck. (laughs) The horse is out of luck. It's always a good grooming day. (laughs) Well, unless they come in, you know, plastered in wet mud and sometimes there's not a lot you can do, but it gives you so many more choices when you have horses with a large repertoire. So I guess the, I don't know whether it's going to be the final question, but it may be the final question, is when you're riding the horses, what would you say that riding adds to the relationship? It's a great question. I know Anne's thinking, because it's a, it's a, it's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. I, I would say it's the tactile connection. It's the, you know, your body is wrapped around the horse's body. So you have a much greater surface area connected to the horse and to feel more of the horse's body. That's uh, the major. The other thing I was, I was thinking a little bit about almost the uh, telepathy. Yes. You, you become 
one mind, um, but that also works, at least for me, it works with Panda without the element of riding. So I can't say that that's a difference, but for most people, maybe it is. I don't know. Why would you say you ride now, today? Why do you ride? What do you get out of it? Well, I, I, ha I haven't been riding for quite a while because of the pandemic and other reasons, but why I still like rat riding and consider myself a rider is that feeling of being in balance, that feeling of connection with the horse. It, it's a centaur connection. It's almost like the nervous system meld and that the horses let you in. They let you into their spine. They, they let you deeply into their heart. And I think having raised my own horses, so there was, with each of them, there was a time when I was not riding because they were not old enough to ride. And I would say I had a lovely, I had a really lovely relationship. But when I started riding them, that relationship deepened, and I'm not sure I can describe it. I don't know that there are words to describe it, but the relationship definitely changed. It got deeper. The connections grew stronger, and I would say there was, to be very anthropomorphic, there was a sense of pride of, oh, mom's riding me now. That was very real, and I know that sounds very, uh, very anthropomorphic and very like a projection. But you felt they liked it. You felt they enjoyed it. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. It, it did not feel like a projection that I was projecting something onto them. It was very much a deepening of the relationship. That riding done well enhances the experience that the horse has in a really good way. So it's definitely part of clicker training. So that original question that came from the email of, can you use clicker training and ride? Can you use positive reinforcement and ride? I would say, yes, the answer is, is absolutely yes. It's learning how to use, how to teach. You know, it's what, it's what I've talked about in many of the podcasts, how you teach horses about tactile cues whether that's a tactile cue that's coming from a shift in your seat or change in your legs or a pickup of a lead or a rein, you're teaching them how to use and respond to tactile cues. And we're using positive reinforcement, that whole teaching process, you know, the, the constructional training, loopy training, movement cycles, all of these concepts come into play and that absolutely yes you can ride with you can that clicker training is the communication system that you use to build these glorious feels like heaven to ride connections with our horses and so i would say we could end by saying go forth and ride <laughs> you know have fun with the riding explore it experiment with it when you find questions and holes, then you know, come track me down through the website and the online clinics and so on, and we'll fill those holes in so that riding becomes a pleasure. So I would say at this point that, uh, and we have kept you, that Panda probably needs, needs you to come out and give her her evening 
mash and some attention and she's probably wondering where is my person <laughs> so we will thank you immensely immensely for sharing the afternoon with us and sharing these memories of magnet and sharing the joy of riding with everyone so thank you thank you Anne. it was a great conversation yeah thank you i've enjoyed it thank you for listening if you want to learn more about riding with the clicker visit my website theclickercenter.com for resources i have the writing book the click that teaches riding with the clicker as well as the dvd lessons that focus specifically on riding and then there are the online clinics. I hope one of the takeaways as you listen to Anne is that for me, the writing is built around a systematic teaching process. We're transferring lessons to writing that are first introduced on the ground. That's reflected in the many resources I have created for you. So again, visit my website, theclickercenter.com to learn more. In the meantime, Train well and have fun with your horses. <laughs>